0: The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. Some of the world's biggest investors, including Brookfield Asset Management and TPG, are launching mega funds to invest in the global transition to a net zero economy and what could be the ultimate new asset class. Plus, Beijing's crackdown on after-school tutoring. Listen up. Welcome to The Views Room. I'm Rob Cox, the editor of Breaking Views, the financial commentary arm of Reuters News, coming to you from the heart of Europe, Zurich, Switzerland. This week saw two of the world's top investment managers launch funds dedicated to the global transition to a net-zero economy. Brookfield Asset Management launched a $7 billion fund with backers including Ontario Teachers' Pension Plan Board and Singapore's Tomasek. It will be co-led by former Bank of England boss and Brookfield vice chair Mark Carney, who is also the U.N.'s special envoy on climate action and finance, and it could raise up to $12.5 billion in total. On the same day, investment firm TPG announced the first close of $5.5 billion in subscriptions to its inaugural TPG Rise Climate Fund with a hard cap of around $7 billion. The goal for both is to invest in the decarbonization of the world's economy, including industries that are traditionally dirty, like steel, cement, and, of course, transportation. Our deputy editor, Richard Beals, says the more private sector money-chasing investments that could limit the damage to the planet, the less heavy-lifting governments around the world need to do with taxpayers' money. So basically, it's a good thing. After speaking to Richard, I hand the mic over to Robin Mack in Hong Kong, who talks to Yanwen Chen and Jen Hughes about the latest in a relentless stream of bad news from Beijing that has hit Chinese stocks in New York, Hong Kong, and Shanghai. They discuss the Chinese Communist Party's newest target, the $120 billion after-school tutoring industry, which the government seems hell-bent on converting to a nonprofit sector. Listen to the crew talk about the implications of this latest crackdown, as well as where braver investors might turn for safety as Chinese exchanges near bear market territory. Check it out. So, Richard, you wrote a piece this week about a bunch of really big investment managers who have created what look to be rather large uh, climate transition funds. Brookfield Asset Management uh, had a big one. TPG. What are these? What are actual climate transition funds in the first place?
1: So... Yeah, we saw this this big one from Brookfield, an initial close at $7 billion um, and another a first close, as they call it, on, at $5.4 billion, both quite big for these specialist funds. But the idea is to achieve any of the Paris Accord climate goals, uh, carbon emissions have to come down. And to achieve that, there are lots of existing industries that need to change how they do things, whether it's the obvious ones like power generation or the dirty industrials like steel, cement, those kind of things. So what these funds are trying to do is find those opportunities. And, you know, Brookfield thinks that over about 30 years, it could be 100 trillion, that's a big number, 100 trillion dollars of needed investment worldwide to help these companies um, make that shift, whether it's new uh, renewable energy sources, whether it's the technology they need, whether it's operating things differently, uh, they they think that market is there and they can make make a decent return.
0: And of course, Brookfield, uh, which is a Canadian company, has got lots of lots of interesting names associated with this seven billion dollar fund. I mean, the big backers include Ontario Teachers' Pension Plan Board, which is huge, and then of course Temasek, which is a, effectively a sovereign wealth fund for the state of Singapore. But perhaps more uh, notably, are is well, let's say the person who's leading it. No.
1: Right. So Brookfield hired Mark Carney, the former governor of the Bank of England, um, to sort of spearhead uh, at least part of their um, sort of uh, climate-related uh, investment initiative. And he is he is sort of the co-boss, if you like, of this particular fund. So that's 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 pretty interesting. I mean, that's somebody with a pretty high profile. Who?
0: Well, he is like the special envoy, as it for climate change for the United Nations. Right. So.
1: Exactly. So 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 that's pretty huge. And I mean. You know, I think one of the really interesting things here is if you're a purist climate uh, person, you might think, you know, you, you, why, why is somebody going to invest in or why, why should somebody invest in like a dirty old industry like steel? You know, I want I want people to invest in super clean stuff, you know, new technologies, all that kind of stuff. But of course, if you don't invest in these dirty industries, they're just going to carry on as they were and not change. And, and if that happens, then the, the climate goals are never going to be met.
0: But of course, there is an argument that if you actually price carbon, if the world decides that the negative externality of, of carbon dioxide emissions needs to be priced, you will there will be a business case. There will be a use case for trans uh, taking a steel plant and getting rid of a, let's say, an electric arc furnace that's powered by gas and making it powered by hydrogen or whatever it might be, some sort of renewable power source. That steel will then be priced appropriately because – you know, the, the the price of steel from places that don't, aren't doing that, either there'll be a carbon adjustment tax or whatever it might be. No, I mean, th- there is a business case
1: behind all this. Uh, absolutely, there is. And, you know, a carbon tax is a sort of obvious and probably sensible way to try and tackle this problem. Um, it's proved to be very hard to get individual governments to get comfortable passing a carbon tax and let alone getting... Multiple governments, or you know, beyond say the EU bloc, to to agree on something similar so that it can apply worldwide. But I think I think with these funds, the idea is there are these investments that will give them a return, regardless of any of those kind of things. Those things might help uh, more, even more. But there, there are ways. You know, companies, shareholders, governments, consumers—they all want increasingly want these changes to happen. And the question is how to make them happen. Carbon tax would be one way, but putting some money behind that view is another.
0: So is everybody going to now come up with a climate transition fund? Is is this a new asset
1: class, basically? Oh, geez. I mean, maybe. Um, I suspect there are lots of existing funds that would invest in this kind of thing. I mean, if you're talking about a decent equity-like return, um, which is... You know that this isn't a subsidized business. This is a real commercial business. If those investments are good, you're going to have infrastructure funds that make them. You're going to have, uh, when it comes to whole companies, private equity funds that will, will buy them. Um, but yeah, I'm guessing we'll see plenty of other transition funds as well. I mean, if the opportunity is really as big as Brookfield think, there's room for many more
0: yeah, and TPG, too. I mean, TPG, yeah. they tend to be at the, the sharp edge of this thing, right? I mean, and then, by the way, they also seem to have uh, their own version of Mark Carney uh, running the fund or on the board, no?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, they have they have um, smart people and they have Hank Paulson, who is spearheading this for U.S., well, former Goldman boss and um, U.S. Treasury Secretary. And
0: one of the world's uh, foremost bird watchers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> not sure how got, that, got sure got how some, that factors into in the, the,
0: Some feathers transition. in the game.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and TPG have, you know, you, you can imagine that these all these organizations will approach this a little differently, right? I mean, Brookfield comes very much from the infrastructure and renewable energy side of things. TPG, I could imagine, comes a little more from somewhere between private equity and, and more technology oriented starting points. I don't know for sure, but that that would be my guess. So people will find different ways to skin this transition cat as well. All right, thank you very much, Richard. Thanks, Rob.
2: Hi everyone, I'm Robin Mack here in Hong Kong, and I'm speaking with Asia columnists, Jen Hughes and Yaowen Chen. So there's just been a relentless stream of news coming out of Beijing, which has hit Chinese stocks from New York to Hong Kong to Shanghai. Yaowen, let me just start with you. We've seen this really big tech crackdown that's been rumbling along for a couple months now, but the education sector seems to be in the regulatory crosshairs. So for-profit tutoring companies are now banned and so is foreign investment into these companies. Can you tell us a bit more about what is happening?
3: Sure, Uh, the education crackdown has been ongoing for months, but I think the latest measures were much more severe than investors expected. For one, it banned uh, companies to be continuing as for profits, and I think one very interesting that was that the VIEs, which is which is a very commonly used structure by Chinese companies listed in the U.S., has been uh, specifically called out by regulators. So that is a rare high level acknowledgement that those structures are being used as loopholes. In the past, Beijing has not endorsed or banned the practice which really enabled private companies like Alibaba to skirt the, the foreign investment rules in China and go to the New York to raise capital. So since this, this structure has been called out and they're, they're, uh, the regulators are demanding them to be rectified, even retrospectively, we think this, this might have very big implications even for other sectors. So, so let me back up here. Okay, so
2: so VIEs. So for those of you view that are not familiar, they stand for variable interest entities. Um, and as Yawen says, you know they've been used for many years by many many companies to skirt around these foreign investment restrictions that China has on sensitive sectors like technology. So I think the last estimate we saw was that. There are roughly two trillion dollars worth of companies, Chinese companies listed in the U.S. And the vast majority of those will be through a VIE structure. Now, Yawen, yeah, it seems like it's quite troubling if Beijing is trying to close this loophole. Is that what you think is happening? And for the education companies and like what will they have to do?
3: It's still unclear at the moment, but it's um, there has been there has been some chilling precedent where uh, in 2009, then U.S. listed Chinese web portals, Sina and advertising outfit the focus media wanted to do a $1.4 billion merger. But the regulators basically reviewed their application for as long as 10 months because of their offshore structure. So that was eventually called off. So one possible outcome of all of this crackdown and reviewing is that if the regulators decided the VIE structures have to be independently reviewed, that could take a very long time, or they might just ignore the application just because this is kind of a gray area that they don't want to deal with.
2: So and we've seen sort of other regulators um, in other sectors kind of making starting to make some noise about foreign ownership which is i guess an implicit sort of a, an attack on these VIE structures right
3: yeah the the CSRC is being tasked with um i think new regulatory power to review the overseas IPO application by chinese companies separately the cybersecurity regulator is being um reviewing applications based on data security grounds So there are different layers of reviewing process happening. And on the VIEs itself, the central bank has also come up with a separate rule um, specifically targeting payment companies saying if they have a VIE structure uh, and they want to use that to go for an overseas IPO, they have to report that as well. So those are all signs that there will be major regulations coming on this front.
2: I mean, I guess the implication is that for many startups in China right now, that will just deter them from seeking foreign capital and foreign investments and using these BI structures. But what about companies like Alibaba that already have foreign investments?
3: Right, that's also another very big uncertainty. But um, the dangerous thing with the crackdown education companies right now is that the rules specifically said if, if they have violated the, the foreign investment ban, they will have to rectify, quote unquote. So it's it's unclear if they have to dismantle the VIE, delist from the stock exchanges, or what's going to happen. So I guess we have to follow this very closely to see the implications for bigger targets or companies like Alibaba. Right. Thanks, Yowen. And then I guess that's why, I mean, this is definitely exacerbating
2: this market meltdown. So Jen, let me turn to you. I mean, it looks like know these Chinese exchanges they've been hit really hard and I think I've seen that Hong Kong and even Shanghai is they're nearing bear market territory which is really unusual because you know for years like investors have had a really high tolerance of risk when it comes to these Chinese tech and consumer plays do you think that's starting to change now
4: well I think it should do after everything we've seen in the last few weeks I mean this is kind of like the wily coyote moment for Chinese markets, that they've just been chasing these gains, they're chasing the road around, they've gone over the edge of the cliff and they've suddenly stopped, looked down and gone, whoops. At the same time, you could say they should have seen some of this coming. I mean, we tried to list out the crackdowns we can think of in the last year. And, I mean, they've clamped down on property companies. They uh, Regulators have gone after Alibaba and Tencent for the dominance of their markets. Financial technology, obviously, that got hit and Ant's IPO got pulled. Cigarette makers, e-cigarette makers, sorry, have come under threat. That's all before this month. And that's not even including Bitcoin and the other bits and pieces that, that regulators have looked at. I mean, this month, obviously, we've had um, the probe into Didi Global. We've had uh, curbs on Chinese companies raising funds abroad and what that does to IPOs in Hong Kong and New York. Obviously, there's the crackdown on education we've already mentioned. Um, if you just put all these things together, you go, oh, it's pretty clear that they're reining in corporate excess and maybe we need to sort of readjust our risk premium for China.
2: And that, and that's that's on top of an ongoing pandemic and U.S.-China trade tensions and geopolitical tensions as well, too, right?
4: Yeah, I mean, if I was Chinese regulators and you're trying to send a message to the market, you must be pretty frustrated. Like in New York or London, you look at every utterance from the Fed, the Bank of England, the ECB, the rest of it. One sniffle from Jay power and markets move. And China's been bashing industry after industry. And until recently, investors have just pretty much ignored it. So, so who are the winners from this?
2: There must be some companies that are still quite attractive to whatever brave investors are left out there.
4: There are some brave investors. And remember, we had such a run up that a lot of people will still be sitting on profits. Sure, their profit was 60, 70% before the last few weeks, but it might still be 20, 30%. So a lot of people are still in the money, though clearly at this point they're probably terrified as well. Um, winners seem to be supply chain stocks. Like X the EV maker, uh, the car maker, is down 10, 20% in the past few weeks. But if you look at Gangfong Lithium, for example, which makes the battery component, that's up like 50% just this month. So we're seeing this rotation, as much as we can say what is really going on, we seem to be seeing a rotation from consumer facing stocks, the bit that the regulators keep going after, to the supply chain. This is kind of the basis that at the end of the day, someone still needs widgets, materials, and hard things to make things with. And there also seems to be
2: policy industrial blessing towards a lot of these industries and companies too right with beijing trying to be a bit more self-sufficient and reliant um in its
4: supply chains yeah china's still going to be making things exporting things it doesn't want to rely on other countries for key components lithium chips all those things are absolutely key i mean other winners include your regular defensive areas or state-owned enterprises i mean they're not what you might call the most exciting long-term investment, but they've been a safe place to park a bit of cash for the last few weeks.
2: Okay, really interesting. Thanks both, and we'll just have to keep an eye on what track down is coming next.
0: That's our show for the week. Thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast exchange on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you go to get your podcast fixes. And check us out every day at BreakingViews.com. Bye-bye.